After an anthem like that, I think we can all proclaim we love our God, don't we? Amen. Thank you, Reverend Tyson and choir. Wonderful job. Excellent. Well, it's March Madness season, isn't it? Anybody been watching the games? How about those St. Peter Peacocks? <laughs> Sorry for all of you Kentucky Wildcats out there, but boy, 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 I love it when a good underdog story comes about. You know, the drama with March Madness is all well and good, of course, when unless it's your team that's involved in the drama. You're sitting there, you're watching the game, and let's just say your team is up by a bundle. Oh boy, doesn't that feel great. You're already envisioning the championship promenade, the opportunity to cut down the nets. Oh, how you cannot wait to go into the office and speak to that one person and rub it in. Then all of a sudden, the coach makes a decision. He brings in the substitutes. You're willing to allow this. I mean, after all, coach has gotten you this far. Maybe he knows something that you don't. But then the nature of the game changes suddenly. The team that was losing so badly begins to gain momentum. And your team, the team that held the sizable lead, now seems incompetent. Are this these even the same players? What's going on? Your coach tries to make an audible. He gets the guys that he took out of the game back in there, but they've lost rhythm. They can't do anything. The other team closes the margin of the lead. The other team then ties your team. The other then team then builds a lead, and until that fateful moment in which the clock reads, Zero, zero, zero. Your team has lost. You have successfully been able to salvage defeat from the jaws of victory. Amazing, right? It's later on in the remaining part of your day that you begin to talk about this. You know, after all, you've considered yourself somewhat of a coach for a long time. Had things gone right, it would be your name that would have been on a few championship rings, huh? And a couple of championship banners. You began to diagnose this problem. And of course, a lot of your anger goes towards the coach. I mean, it was he who made the decision to change after all. Then in this moment of clarity in which you really want to put forward some deeply stated wisdom, you lean back and... Cross your arms and allow for a pregnant pause so that there's going to be full weight in this next statement. I don't know what that coach's problem is. After all, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Anybody ever use that statement when you're trying to diagnose why your team somehow managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? I know I certainly have. And my apologies, my apologies to my mother and Pickens who's watching this at some later point. I know it ain't broke, don't fix it is not proper English. It just sounds better that way, mom, okay? But that's something I think we use in a lot of walks of life, right? If it ain't broke... Don't fix it. Even up into our own lives in relationship to God, we are proudly holding on to one of two truths 
A, it ain't broke, or B, I don't need anybody's help to fix it. Which one are you? I imagine it's the one that bothers you the most to say. For me, it's the one who has to admit it's broken. I hate having to admit that something's not working. How about you? Uh, For me, it's all about looking like I have it all together. And then God plays this really humorous trick and he says, okay, David, you are the person that likes to have it all together. I'm going to make you the new senior pastor in a new city, in a new house. And let's see how all that plays out for you. As I told my Wednesday night crowd, not too well. I'm still using GPS to get around Carrollton. It's a little overwhelming at times. And quite honestly, I don't have it all together. It's not only not fun trying to keep about that rhythm of life, it's impossible. But so too is true for all of you who don't like anybody's help in fixing those things that are wrong in your life. Any of you guys out there, it's equally painful, it's equally unbearable. And as much as we double down and say, it ain't broke, don't fix it, we're saying that We've basically figured out the best way to live. We don't need God's help. But is that really true? Because if it were, why all the drama? Why all the issues that need tissues? Why all the regret and the remorse? Could it be that it is in fact broken and somebody or someone needs to come along and fix it. That's why, my friends, repentance is the word of the day. Repentance declares loudly and boldly, it's broken. God, fix it. And as hard as that is for us to get to the point of saying, God knows that's exactly what we need so that we can live life and life to the full. God knows that as we repent, we're preparing our hearts for an eventual reality in which Jesus Christ walks from the tomb and declares that sin and the resulting death no longer have a hold on us. We're free and clear. So it is, in fact, necessary and for our benefit to return to the cross and repent boldly, confessionally. God, it's broken. Fix it. So, my friends, as we've dialogued before, we'll say it again together here today that if you want to embrace the empty tomb, you must return to the cross. Now, Jesus is one who's a master teacher It's not that he's just a smart guy or a good guy that lived 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus was the most brilliant person to ever live. And he was also the one who was the most intuitive. That's why when he wanted to address something like repentance, he knew how to engage the audience from a third-person perspective. And that's why Jesus tells stories, also known as parables. 
They're opportunities for us to join in to studying the deeper metaphor and to pull out of them the truth that we know that we need to apply to our own lives. Now, the scripture that our brother Marty read today is one that I've poured over countless hours this week. And I want to tell you, I've extracted the most profound theological truth possible from this text. Are you ready for it? There once was a fig tree that would not produce figs, and nobody knew why. Now, my notes here say to pause and allow for the profound nature of that statement to sink in to you, the congregants. But that's really what the story is about. There's a vineyard, there's an owner of the vineyard, and then there's this gardener, and then there's this fig tree, presumably receiving everything that it needs to produce figs. It has sunlight, it has water, it has the appropriate amount of nutrients from the soil, and yet, after three years, it will not produce figs. In my study, I became somewhat flustered and frustrated. I asked myself, what's wrong with this plant? I am no gardener, so I had to seek outside scholarship. I had to go to one who knew about these agricultural conundrums far better than anyone else. In fact, he wrote the book on it. His name, Carl Brack. His book, What's Wrong With My Plants? I sat down with Brother Carl on Wednesday night. I read him the scripture, Carl, what's wrong with this plant? He leaned back quickly and he said, late frost. I said, maybe for year one, but what about for years two and three? Late frost and late frost. (laughs) I said, come on, Carl, give me some real agricultural truth. He said, okay, you want the truth? Here it is. A gardener can do anything and everything for a tree, and sometimes the tree just isn't going to produce a harvest. Nobody knows why, but there it is. He said, until somewhere out of the blue, not just three years later, maybe 10, 20 years later, all of a sudden that tree decides to produce fruit. And when it does, the farmer or the gardener can at last enjoy the harvest. My goodness, after I came around from that conversation around the dinner table with my esteemed colleague, I had a different perspective on this parable entirely. You see, it's the gardener who's doing anything and everything, setting the conditions up perfectly so that this fig tree might, just might flourish, produce fruit. And so too in our lives, it's Jesus Christ who's doing anything, everything, so that our hearts, our minds, our very lives might produce fruit and flourish. He'll stop at nothing up into and including going around our lives and digging holes and filling them with fertilizer. Now, fertilizer back in Jesus's day is not something that you went and bought at your local lawn and garden. It's not your Scott's yard supply. No, this gardener is getting down in the muck and mire of animal manure. 
as Carl says, he dunged it. Yeah, Carl, he dunged it. He dunged, dunged it good. But this is what Jesus is saying. I'm willing to do anything, everything. I'm advocating on your behalf because there's another voice in this story. You remember the owner of the vineyard? What was his response to the situation? He didn't care that the fruit was not coming from the fig tree. He just wanted to have one solution and one solution only. Cut it down. I had another conversation with a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Guy Sales, former uh, senior pastor of First Baptist Church, Asheville. And I asked him, what is going on with this voice? He said, it represents another narrative that's here in our world. Sometimes it's what people are saying to us, and sometimes it's what we're saying to ourselves. And that voice is all about production. It's all about what you've done lately that is going to determine your final worth, how much you make, how many social connections you have, youth and college students, how many likes you get on your post. All of these things are what your eventual worth is. And when we don't cut it, and when we don't make the marks, the world and sometimes the voice in our heart and mind says, cut it down. You're not worthy. You're not capable. Change will never happen for you. What you are is what you will always be, failed and without hope. And that's where Jesus comes up against that voice and says in a very different heart and tone, let me have a try. Let me work on your behalf. And my friends, there's no more dirtier work that Jesus embraced when he went to the cross at Calvary and laid his life down so that we might even have access to grace. You see, some people forget that repentance, while it is hard, the only reason why it's even possible is because that the grace of God was there in the first place. That is, Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins and said, put it on me, not on them. He looks at us as people incapable of flourishing, and he says, but by the power of my love and my grace, they can flourish. So I imagine Jesus at the end of this parable, not asking the audience uh, which voice is greater or which is the better argument. We clearly know that. I think what Jesus is asking them and what he's asking all of us is which voice are you going to listen to? Which voice is going to be the one that speaks to your heart? And you know how you are going to decide, folks, which voice you're going to listen to, which voice you're going to lean into, which God you're going to follow? It's in your decision to repent or not. Or as Jesus calls on all of us to come to the cross, return to the cross, we not only see the penalty of our sins, we are reminded of the ultimate source of forgiveness of them. 
That whoever we are, wherever we are, it doesn't matter if I've forgotten more scripture than you've ever learned, you have equal access to return to the cross and say boldly and confessionally, God, it's broken. Fix it. And Jesus Christ looks at every single one of you with compassion in his heart and says, it's forgiven. Some of us, Look at that and we think, (laughs) too good to be true. Others of us look at it and say, I accept it at face value, but the prospect of real and lasting change scares me to death. For as boldly as we come and repent before God, he looks at us and he says, I will change your life. Not because I will take the old things that are broken and repair them, but because God says, I will give you a new heart. You will be a new creation. It's not just duct tape and super glue. It is a brand new body, a brand new heart. For on the other side of that cross is the ultimate identity of every single one of us, which is full resurrection. So I tell you, my friends, if you want to embrace the tomb, you must return to the cross. Which voice will you listen to today? The one that judges you based merely on what you can produce or the one that says, you find your all and all in me? For if you were the only person on this earth, I would have laid my life down equally because I love you. That is a worth that is everlasting. That is a worth that not only calls us to the cross, but inspires in our hearts the willingness and, in fact, the ability to repent. So, my friends, this is your hour because as Jesus concludes this text, he is in as much admitting that there is a timeline in place. Life on this side of eternity isn't forever. There's an urgency in Jesus's imperative when he says it throughout scripture to repent for the kingdom of God is near. It's because Jesus is recognizing that not only are we not promised 80 or 90 years, folks, We're not promised tomorrow. It's not only important, it's necessary to get your your heart right with God and to say, here and now, I repent. I cry out to you, O God, and say, it's broken, fix it, and to allow the healing and restorative powers of our God to enter your heart and mind and make you new from the inside out so that you can live into the fullness of life, so that you can be a tree which produces a mighty harvest, so that you can be a life that flourishes. That's God's call on each and every one of us here today as we return to the cross together. So what will your decision be? What sins do you need to confess? Well, don't tell me. Tell God. And as you do, 
If you don't know what words to say, hear it from your pastor and friend to repeat the following. God, it's broken. Fix it. And rest assured, he will. Will we pray together? God, it is the time of repentance. Never easy, never enjoyable. But, oh God, is it worth it? Yes. In this time, help each and every one of our hearts to repent. For all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. As we come before you humbly, confessionally, may we know that as we lift our broken lives to you, you speak the words plainly and truly, I'll fix it. I'll change you. I'll make you new. We lean into that truth and that hope and that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this time of response that is to follow, it's an opportunity, in fact, for all of us to come, sinners, poor and needy, to lean on the promises of God Almighty and to hear his words of comfort and renewal. In that light, I ask you to stand and sing with us as you respond, hymn 471, Come ye sinners, poor and needy.